0: So hello everybody and welcome to my podcast this week. And I'm with a very special guest this week, somebody who's been in the industry for a long, long time, Andy Cowell. Hello, hello.
1: Hi. hi, how are you? Very well. Thanks for asking me to come along and chat.
0: I'm thrilled, and actually we are sitting here at the IOTEFL Conference. Indeed. So, um... Indeed. Well,
1: for me it's a it's a it's a home game for me because it's uh, Liverpool and I grew up on the Wirral, just over the other side of the water. Wow. So I actually saw my mum and dad this morning and then came into the CLT conversation. So it's quite weird to combine the two worlds.
0: Fantastic. So you're a true Liverpudlian?
1: No, it's actually quite important not to do that. Um, I'm a Wirralian.
0: A Wirralian? A
1: Wirralian uh, is somebody who comes from the peninsula that is between the River Dee Mm -hmm. and the River Mersey. Uh, And it's a lovely part of the world. And it causes all sorts of sort of intercultural issues with real Liverpoolians who think we are the posh part oh, and then we have a goodness. whole conversation about what's posh what isn't goodness. and then we have a similar for most people although my accent is quite neutral for teaching purposes if I had my normal accent it sounds to most people like I'm from Merseyside mm-hmm. which is true because yeah. Wirral is Merseyside but it used to be Cheshire and so there's a bit of a snobbery divide between those who want to be Liverpudians, those who don't mm. and it's just a nightmare. But I feel like I'm on home home ground home territory. and it's great to go to some of the sessions and then look out the window and see the Mersey because yes. that's my, my background.
0: Yes, And you've been in this industry for a long time so would you tell our listeners yes. about you? Uh,
1: yeah, I have well, next year, 2020 will be my 30th year in what I call commercial ELT, thank you. It'll be commercial ELT, that means I've been involved in mostly the publishing industry of ELT for 30 years. Mm. Uh, I joined in 1990. I started as a rep, a sales rep for the UK and German speaking countries. I I studied German originally. So I got into that and I was a teacher before that for about three or four years, mostly in Germany Mm. as a teacher of uh, adults, uh, business English, general English, all levels. Then I was in Hastings for nearly a year doing all sorts of mixed groups and um so I started off with a good language teaching background. I did linguistics and German at university mm-hmm. and um passionate language learner before that so I feel although I never planned all this it's kind of what i wanted Unfolded. it 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 emerged, it emerged as the dogma the dogma teachers would tell right. you yes and then yeah i i was um I was really keen to see what else I could do outside teaching. This is back in 1989, 1990. I had no idea about the publishing business. I thought that might be for what other people do whilst I continue teaching. But um, yeah, I got a job at Macmillan and and started off a career then in a way that most people do in my business, which is they start off as a rep, they climb the ladder a bit, they get a market to look after. Mm Um, I did something a bit unusual, which is I didn't go up the ladder in publishing after two years. I went to work in an ELT bookstore. Right. And, I, that, and it was a bookshop in Notting Hill. Can you believe that? Like See, the film? Well, yes. So that except, was you in the film. Except this was before the film. <laughs> right. So um, we had uh, it was a wonderful bookstore in Notting Hill and a mail order company that was partly out of that shop and partly out of a, a warehouse. And they were very, very interesting and important days for my career because... I learned a lot about the commercial side of selling books. Mm. What makes books sell, what doesn't, who likes what. If This is pre-databases of internet, pre-anything. So you really had to know the books in your head. Mm. And I really liked recommending titles and resources and knowing what was on. And I think that's why bookshops, to me, were always more interesting at that time than publishers. Because if you work with one publisher, you only know that list, and you have to get to know the other lists the hard way. Whereas when you're a bookseller, you know all these lists from the inside. And then I carried on um, into publishing. I, went, I left that and worked at higher levels and more internationally. Um, and so I would say I would summarize my last 30 years as having worked with both publishers and bookseller distributors mm. to, to make originally, I would say, books of any kind, mm. course books, dictionaries. Remember those? Remember those print dictionaries? I can. To spread them all around the world, helping them to be uh, to reach schools and teachers through every possible kind of and size of bookseller Uh, and so I've never had any kind of us and them with publishers and booksellers. I'm a publisher, I'm a bookseller and I'm a teacher so a lot of my life has been involved in giving talks about materials and how to use them, how to create your own, how to sell your own which is more of a trend now and uh, here I am in my 12th year of independence working with some publishers more than others Mm -hmm. Mm. giving training, and um, finding out what people still want instead of giving them what we've got.
0: Right, right, yes. And how do you think, then, the industry has changed in these 30 years for you?
1: Um, Well, there's a lot of things to say there, I suppose. Um, I suppose when I think of the industry, I'd have to define it as the publishing one. That's the one I would say that I know best. Schools... How
0: about we say language learning?
1: Language learning. Um, Well, it's still, I think my my lens on that when I look at it it still feels very in a cynical way commoditized it's, it's mm-hmm. still bound up and packaged piece by piece in course books mm-hmm. and so language learning is still very much perceived by the learner and delivered by the publisher often in very good ways mm-hmm. as delivering language piece by piece like eating an elephant you know you can't yeah. eat it all at once yeah. and so language learning in many ways hasn't changed in that um People perceive it as a sets of rules and lists of words to remember as we go on. Yeah. And I think what hasn't changed is a sense that uh, you know it's still a subject in many schools. And I think mm. what I try and do when I give talks to people and any training and materials I can do work on is to show people it's a skill, really. In language mm. learning, a language to learn is a skill, it's not a subject. Yeah. And still what hasn't changed, and I think particularly in the secondary and primary systems, as opposed to the private language schools, mm-hmm. is a sense that um, language learning is a it's a thing, like a subject, and you go from one block of information to the next. And although teachers around the world and materials do their very best with a lot of experience and, and content you know, of a very high quality, there's still so little time for people to feel that it's a real skill. Yeah. And I think one thing that isn't changing, and I try to be part of uh, groups of teachers' teacher trainers to say, look, what can we do to embrace the fact that this is a skill? Can we stop killing it? Can we stop trying to teach to the exam? Uh, I feel very strongly that the exams don't reflect the kind of language that we should be
0: teaching. Absolutely. They don't Uh, reflect the real life of language. No,
1: and I don't know why. I mean, again, one thing that I can talk about change in a moment, but one thing that doesn't seem to change ever is this whole thing about listening materials. I feel very strongly that listening material can again be very good very high quality Mm -hmm. but they're all still aiming at a sort of native speaker queen's english model if you're in a british english market that assumes that that's the goal to reach Mm -hmm. as if once you can speak queen's english Mm -hmm. you're fine and that's fine too if Mm -hmm. you can it sounds good and that's often if you think of eastern europe and a lot of western european markets that's what they want of their students Mm -hmm. and that's what they'll test But when they go, everybody knows that if they go to some place where English is spoken, no one can understand what's happening. And yeah. that's because they haven't been given listening strategies.
0: Yeah.
1: And so what they use, what hasn't changed is that listening, for example, mm. and this sort of general model of perfect English is taught as if that's what you're going to have outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I've never really understood why in a more mainstream way that that can't be changed to embrace you know, preparing the learner. Yep. For the world of English, which is which has always been changing, yep. it's always been varied. Uh, perhaps one of the reasons it doesn't change is that that means publishers can't sell as many books. And it's
0: like the car industry, isn't it? Yeah. Why are we not coming into electric cars?
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, yes, I've, yes. I've, and I've, I did it myself. I mean, I used to publish a series of authentic listening materials yeah. uh, that were written by Sheila Thorne, who's a really terrific trainer and writer yeah. on how to teach with authentic. Listening as and, and crucially to teach teachers that authentic listening sounds like the domain of the advanced learner, but of course mm. it's not. Mm. It feels like it because we always leave it mm. to the very end. But mm. adva- advanced listening, you know, when it comes to authentic listening, if if you consider the possibility that a primary learner for the and secondary for fifteen years of their school life, if they had one lesson a week with some authentic listening, mm. carefully carefully managed regarding the tasks in other words grade the task not the text can you imagine the sort of the segmentation skills they have in decoding what they hear around them but that doesn't happen so I think what's not changed is a sense of this rather false model of English Uh, that said you know a lot of globality and intercultural issues are now brought into materials yes
0: Um, computer technology well
1: yeah that, well there's you. yeah there yes. we go into technology
0: yes i
1: would say that um on on one level i would say that there's now no going back from technology mm-hmm. in the classroom yeah. but i think that again when i think of the reality of what teachers want mm-hmm. and what publishers are offering there's often a mismatch yeah. for example i can think of so many countries where people are not using interactive whiteboards effectively mm-hmm. they 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 just use them like a, a magic blackboard, and it's so much. There's so much more than that, yeah. and so whilst teachers are working on many, many basic levels of technology, more and more complicated things are coming in, and they're they're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, there's a the rise and rise of uh, virtual mm-hmm. reality and uh, headsets and yeah. things. Yeah. And I think um, publishers, I think, are trying to change and language. Schools are trying to accommodate new things that they believe the consumer wants but I, I, I still think language learning is simply hard work okay. there's no magic bullet it takes a lot of boring practice in many ways and I think some some materials or, or schools or teachers would have you believe there's a shortcut and I think there's only so much you can do to make students engaged. It's and the rest is down to you. Yeah, it and doing it yeah. and
0: living it and I, then breathing it and breathing the language, you know. It's, um, but,
1: but I think the yes. one thing that, I mean, most people are trying... I mean, you cannot now escape, you know, through the internet, the accessibility of authentic video, authentic mm. materials. Yes. The fact that English is now, apart from the obvious element of the lingua franca mm. nature of English, I think that... Um, you can't hide from that now whereas when i was learning you know french for example at school mm. it did seem like a subject and the chances of seeing anything french for real like a newspaper weren't going to happen mm. it nothing on tv so now i think that with or without the help of any materials the good thing now is that you know the, the kids at school or the adults they can easily make that connection between what they're learning yeah. and what's out there for real and it's yeah. not going to cost them anything
0: yes that's right. Good
1: language coaching should try and bring the two together, right?
0: Yes. Well, language coaching. So yes. what is language coaching for you?
1: It's funny, when you ask me that, about coaching, um, I'm probably going to say what most people say, which is coaching always sounds like a very grown-up word. Right. So if you are coaching a primary student, it would sound like you're giving them such special attention with their yeah. subject... I coached a student wants to to do better in his German exams. Yes. So there's coaching in that sense. Yes. But I think the word coach with learning is still for me anyway linked to the world of probably working professionals, business people. Mm. If someone tells me they're doing language coaching, mm. um, I can see that that sounds like a more sophist- sounds more sophisticated mm. than perhaps going through a course book. or delivering what the student might have expected was going to be grammar exercises. So coaching lends itself to feeling like a more considered approach to the lesson, which is good and probably is. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I think of is business English. Coaching is often used, I suppose if you ever looked online and looked at the collocations of English teaching and coaching, I think you'd see more of the word business Mm -hmm. than anything else. But it looks like it's changing, and that's a good thing.
0: Well, it's interesting because, you know, the the first comment you made about coaching, um, when I was doing my research, apparently in the 17th century, the word coach was the first, uh, the first meaning of the word coach was a private tutor.
1: Really? Yes.
0: So in the 17th century, we were using it as a tutor.
1: It's kind of ironic, isn't it? It is. It gives you a sense of privilege and yet that's not what you get in economy when you fly because the Americans will say you fly coach. <laughs> right. So it sounds like it's the opposite right. of, a, yes. of a of a nice yeah. looked after feeling. Absolutely.
0: And then we get a football coach. We get yes. a sports coach. So we have different connotations with the word coach.
1: Do you know the other thing about the Now I think about it. Coaching also suggests a more of a one-to-one approach. Right. So maybe if it, and if coaching is not a one-to-one thing and you have your coaching a group. Yeah. Something about the word suggests a very considered bespoke Yes. Uh, needs analysis based yeah. and you could argue why were teachers never looking at this the real needs of the students when you've got 25 kids in a class I guess it's hard to do a needs analysis absolutely and that's absolutely. why I think it does become one big yeah. you know, herd herd cohort or herd of students yeah. moved at the same speed at the same pace yeah. to the same exam yeah. and the, the thought of a secondary school teacher coaching anyone sounds like it's only something they do in the evening on a one to one but wouldn't it
0: be wonderful if they didn't have to battle with a herd of 25, 30 mm. kids pushing them into an exam. Wouldn't well, it be wonderful it if would. we could break into a different way of language delivery and language learning and we get the kids coming out of school speaking languages?
1: Then, then what I'm thinking, yeah, I agree. And I think what, th- what that brings us to is, you know, the fairly recent and developed trend of flipped classrooms. Yes,
0: yes, yes. So yes. I suppose
1: if you are using flipped classroom approaches earlier, in other words students are aware of the material before they go into the classroom mm. and then the coaching element is, to, is a more of a, a mentoring process of instead of delivering new information and you spend yeah. the whole 45 minutes finding out who can and who can't do it then a co- if you're coaching in that sense mm. that would go hand in hand with flipped learning right and I think that's happening yes I think, yes, it is. I think that's happening yeah um it seems to be an ELT and this is really a bit generalistic but depending on where you go, which countries Mm. and which kinds of schools, there seems to be a divide between your average teacher is doing their best, basic Mm. training, maybe not, uh, with their materials. You just wonder to what extent training organizations in states, Mm. you know, in state organizations, training centers around the world, to what extent they're going to let that filter. That's got to come from the top down, Mm. because coaching like this and what you do, I think, and others, seems to be the domain of people who've really 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 thought about it Mm -hmm. really really done their best to change the way they do things and then go into the freedom that they have in a classroom. In other words without some principal with an AL, a principal, a boss, a headmaster or even a local ministry guideline saying no we're not here to coach anyone we're here to push them through the system. So it's going to take you know time.
0: So how do you see the future with language learning?
1: In that sense, from a coaching perspective, in well, any sense, well, I'd like to think that it would be um, anything, anything that, anything that within the training of teachers, uh, or and or in the day to day practice of teachers, led to much more preparation and time spent on the reality of what English is, mm-hmm. using it, listening to it, writing it. And it's not to say that teachers generally don't do that. Mm. It's, and I've been spending a lot of time in secondary schools lately in, in you know several countries in different continents. And the pattern still very much is we haven't got time to do that. Yeah. As, if, as if connecting the real English out there, whether it's listening, YouTube clips, blogs online, as if that's going to be something that's extra if you have time. Mm. Meanwhile, we have to get on with what's in our course book. And by the way, there's pressure from parents who've paid for course books to say please don't spend time on all of that extra clever stuff Mm -hmm. I've paid for that book so in training teachers we've also got to train the consumer Mm. um, because we know all about for example the importance and rise and equality now of non-native speaker teachers that they should be just as equally available to take on a job but the consumer thinks they don't want a non-native speaker they want a native speaker so the future of language learning on on one level is about training the consumer to understand what we've all learned through the research yes. and to change some of the rather two-dimensional static systems um, that go on as if there's false belief that there's only time to do it one way. Mm. And I think it is changing. And, you know, you do see amazing things happening. I've just come back from Turkey and I go there quite a lot. And there's a very skills-driven approach there. Mm. And some schools are not using course books, They're only using graded readers. Mm. So things are slowly changing but um technology wise that has to come up i suppose that's going to be a game changer i think i think the the rise of distance learning will be one thing no bad thing that means that people who could never go to a city and see a go to a language school or even afford it uh there are now more and more people who can now get online pay a lesser fee and have some sort of online engagement and i do think that the future of that will be successful only if there's a face-to-face element. Yes. Research is showing both in business training and in teaching that you need someone, that's even right. if it's once a week, yeah. they come together, they see a face,
0: yeah. there's
1: someone still coaching. That's right. As it were.
0: That's right. And
1: I think that's not just the old psychological thing of seeing face-to-face, but how yeah. else algorithms can only do so much because yeah. it's people you're you're well, working we're with. we're
0: wired to be social, we're wired to be connected, we're human.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a thing too, isn't it? Uh, the the, the real success in um, courses or materials are going to be to what extent you can incorporate true social learning, social media, in the the, 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 the true sense of the word, social learning platforms, peer-to-peer work and the world's ready for that it's just a case of who's prepared to make the most of the the opportunity and stay on track to get that grammar done, do those lists and teach them the real English
0: That's right, well Andy I do want to thank you it's a wonderful podcast so much and, to say i know isn't it amazing just to, yeah. you know you've been in the industry for so long you have so much experience and actually you've seen it from all dimensions
1: yeah and i think i, I do I have and i think that people can cynically say that trends come and go but i think that's okay i think mm. you know this this conference is one of the biggest and it represents you know a lot of the people who are trying to make a change do it different say that they got it wrong rethink mm-hmm. things you know yep. people can disagree over methodologies and I think that's probably going to be the case because language is such an abstract concept we, yes. we know a lot about it and we know that there are also unknown areas yes I think part of the fun is people trying out the unknown yep. trying it if it works it works for you if it doesn't work for someone else then right, we are sh- all
0: different so what may work for you may not work for me well
1: there's that's you see fantastic debates here on you know what makes a, a good language lesson Right. There's, no, there's nothing perfect. I think yeah. the trick is to keep an eye on what works and keep yes. moving forwards.
0: Yes. Well, Andy, thank you very much. My pleasure.
1: And to Anytime. my
0: listeners, thank you very much for listening and tune in next week. Bye.